Hello and welcome to the season 6 premiere of Seeing Red. I'm your host Mark. Bethan's about a month deep into dirty nappies and sleepless nights, but that's enough about her drinking binges, so um, it's just me for the next couple of months. She is absolutely missing all of you and um, can't wait to come back, but you're going to have to put up with me for a little while longer, unfortunately. Um, I've got an absolute belter of a case for you today for our season six premiere. Um, so I don't want to hang around. I just want to get into it really. Um, because it's a long one, as the actress said to the bishop. Uh, so this episode has been written by Suze at Darkside Podcast. Darkside Podcast is a true crime podcast that focuses on stories that changed laws or law enforcement or even communities for the better. And Suze does a fantastic job with her show. She really immerses you in the story. And if I'm honest, the way she tells them is a little bit scary, but definitely in a good way. So do go and check out her show. Just search for Dark Side Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Today's case has all the elements of a horror film. And in fact, parallels have been drawn between this story and that of a recent popular horror movie. It's a story that will have you convinced you know the truth, but bizarre twists and turns may just change your mind along the way. Christine and Michael Barnett from Westfield in Indiana were the proud parents of three boys, Jacob, Wesley and Ethan. Christine had found fame after her book, The Spark, A Mother's Story of Nurturing, Genius and Autism, was released to critical acclaim in the United States. The book was based on the couple's youngest child, Jacob, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of two. As the years passed, it was evident that Jacob was a hugely gifted child. He graduated high school at the age of 10 and was then admitted to Purdue University in Indianapolis, where he began a degree in condensed matter physics. Having three children, one of whom was extremely gifted with additional needs, kept the Barnets busy. Furthermore, in addition to their family commitments, the couple ran a children's daycare facility out of their home. Given the success of Christine's book and the success of the daycare centre, the family lived a comfortable lifestyle. Christine and Michael, who were devout Christians, had always dreamt of having a big family, but complications with each of Christine's pregnancies meant their dream of a burgeoning family was curtailed at just three children. They had turned to fostering as a way to fill this gap in their lives and as a way to help out children in need. And whilst they found the experience to be rewarding, it also saddened them deeply. As each child left to go to their forever home, the couple were left with a gaping hole in their own home. And so, in the end, they decided to pursue something more permanent. They decided to adopt a child of their own. But not just any child, no, they were quite specific as to the requirements. They wanted to adopt a child that would possibly be passed over for adoption by other families because of behavioural or physical problems, or a foreign child that, given the economic climate of their respective country, may not find adoption due to financial reasons. So, they reached out to international adoption agencies based in the USA. Christine and Michael went through the adoption process through all the home visits and vetting and in 2010 they were approved as adopters. The family were related. Working with an agency they looked to adopt a little girl from Haiti. The process was almost complete when disaster struck. An earthquake tore the island apart. 
the country went into chaos and all resources were poured into rescuing trapped people, providing aid to survivors and trying to restore basic utilities to this country. As a result, the adoption was put on hold. The family were disappointed. They'd made a loving connection with this little girl, but all they could do was wait until Haiti recovered from its traumatic ordeal. But then, one day in April 2010, out of the blue, the Barnets received a phone call from an adoption agency based in Florida. Christine and Michael were a little surprised. They hadn't registered with this agency and had had no previous connection with them. They couldn't understand how this agency had gotten their details, but before they had a chance to question them, the agency told the couple that they had been researching them and their adoption petition. They felt they had the perfect child for them, and what's more, the child in question was in desperate need of adoption. This all sounded lovely, but alarm bells were ringing for the Barnets. The process to adopt a child is a long and lengthy one, with much time spent on getting to know the child prior to the adoption in order to ensure the placement is a good fit for not only the child, but also the adopting family. To get a cold call like this out of the blue was highly irregular to say the least. But when the agency told the couple that the child was a six-year-old Ukrainian girl with dwarfism who had been abandoned by her previous foster family, Christine and Michael just knew that they couldn't turn their back on this vulnerable child who was clearly in desperate need of a loving family. The couple asked the agency for more information on the girl's background and what had happened to cause the previous family to abandon her, but they were told that this was a closed adoption and none of that information could be provided. The Barnets were provided with just two pictures of the girl, her Ukrainian birth certificate and a medical report from when she had first moved to the United States two years previously in 2008. And with that, the agency told the couple that they had 24 hours to make their decision, warning if they didn't adopt her, she would be sent directly back into the foster system. Christine and Michael were in turmoil. They knew nothing about this child. They'd had no opportunity to get to know her, as was standard procedure with the normal adoption process. They had no idea how debilitative her dwarfism was or how disabled she was. And mostly they had a lot of questions surrounding her abandonment from the previous family. On the other hand, being foster parents themselves, they had seen so many children come in and out of their home over the years, and whilst they always provided a loving, stable home for each and every child that resided with them, the children often came with horror stories of life at other foster homes, and this always seemed to be worse for children with disabilities. Children who were just passed from foster home to foster home until they eventually aged out of the system leaving them more damaged than when they'd entered it. Christine and Michael turned to their faith for strength and guidance, and as the 24-hour deadline grew closer, they knew that they couldn't live with themselves if they allowed another child to suffer in the foster system, being passed along from one home to the next, and so they took a leap of faith. Within days, the family flew down to Florida to start the process. The adoption agency was located in a strip mall, which again, the couple thought a little odd. All previous fostering or adoption agencies they'd worked with in Indiana had been located in commercial premises. The family were taken into a small room and told to wait. 
Again, they found this odd. They hadn't been interviewed, as was a normal protocol, nor had they been vetted or had any background checks conducted. And the agency hadn't even inspected their home to ensure that it was safe, and what's more, that it was suitable for a disabled child. But then the door opened and a little girl with brown curly hair and big brown eyes was brought in. She took one look at Christine and Michael, broke into a huge smile and instantly called them mommy and daddy. The couple were struck by how tiny and vulnerable she looked, but their heart was warmed by her infectious, happy nature. But it was this happy nature that puzzled them. She was six years old and had just been abandoned by her previous family, yet she was so happy and bubbly. Her cheerfulness seemed in direct juxtaposition to her desertion. She told them her name was Natalia Grace and the family settled down to get to know the girl. The door opened once again. It was an agency representative who told them that their time was up and that the Barnets were to come with them to complete the paperwork right now. They had literally been given five minutes with Natalia. Even though everything seemed to be slightly off with the whole process and they felt very pressured into the adoption, now that they'd met this bubbly little girl, they knew they couldn't and wouldn't abandon her like her previous families had done. So Michael and Christine signed the paperwork and within minutes they were leaving the strip mall with a new member of their family. So before we go any further and delve into this crazy story, let's hear from the first of today's show sponsors. As their home in Indiana was over a thousand miles away, the family stayed in a hotel in Florida on the first night with Natalia. After a family dinner, Michael put his three sons to bed in their adjoining room, whilst Christine gave Natalia a bath. As Michael was getting his sons into their pyjamas, he heard Christine cry out for him. There was an urgency in her voice that worried Michael, and so he raced to the bathroom, thinking there had been some kind of accident, but when he reached the bathroom, he saw his wife sat on the floor with Natalia in her arms, wrapped in a towel. There was no evidence of an accident, but the look on his wife's face was one of pure horror. He asked what had happened, and without saying a word, Christine pulled back the towel enveloping Natalia, and revealed that the six-year-old child had pubic hair. Immediately, the family contacted the adoption agency with their concerns that Natalia was much older than six, and they demanded more background information. But, because of the closed adoption, the agency refused to give any further details. Consequently, the family took Natalia back to their home in Indiana and welcomed her into the family, but they just couldn't shake those doubts. And so they had Natalia assessed at Peyton Manning Children's Hospital, where specialists determined that she was in fact eight years old. The couple were relieved, okay she wasn't the six-year-old they thought they were getting, but at least she wasn't significantly older, as they had begun to suspect. Their peace of mind was short-lived however, as over the following weeks, Natalia began to display more and more traits and characteristics that the couple found baffling. From the limited information the couple had been given, they knew Natalia had come to the USA in 2008 as part of an international adoption scheme between the USA and Ukraine. Natalia had been passed through several foster homes before being put up for adoption in Florida. They didn't know how long Natalia had been with her previous family before they gave her up, and Natalia refused to discuss this with them. But what the couple found odd was that despite only being in the USA for two years, Natalia spoke perfect English, 
without a hint of an accent. And in fact, her English was so good that she used words that most six-year-olds or even eight-year-olds wouldn't even be able to comprehend. She also hated being dressed in children's clothing, preferring a more mature attire, and she didn't like playing with children her own age either, preferring older children's company. Natalia also refused to play with toys, preferring to experiment with makeup instead. Over time, Christine and Michael's concerns grew and grew. They tried to rationalise their suspicions. Maybe dwarfism accelerated puberty and that's why Natalia had pubic hair. Maybe her English pronunciation and command of words was so good because she was actually a child prodigy, just like their son Jacob. They tried to brush off their concerns, but just a few months after they'd adopted her, three things happened that forced them to face the truth. One day, Christine was doing chores around the house. She was emptying the laundry baskets in each of the bedrooms, and when she emptied Natalia's basket, a piece of her underwear fell to the floor. Christine noticed immediately that the underwear had blood on it. Natalia wasn't just in puberty, she was menstruating. Shocked at this discovery, Christine's suspicions now intensified, and so she decided to take Natalia on a play date with a friend of hers who also had a child with dwarfism who was of a similar age to Natalia. From the outset of the play date, it was evident that there were vast differences between the two children. Natalia's features and shape were much more mature than the other child. The other child also had baby teeth, whereby it was obvious in comparison that Natalia had her adult teeth. Finally, shortly after the playdate, Christine took Natalia to another friend's house. This friend had migrated to the US from Ukraine and she wanted the friend to speak to Natalia in her native tongue. However, Natalia refused to respond to the friend, and the more the friend tried to engage Natalia in speaking Ukrainian, the more bad-tempered Natalia became until she had a full-blown tantrum and Christine had to abandon the visit and take Natalia home. As Christine drove home that day with a wailing Natalia, it finally dawned on her that her adoptive daughter could not speak or even understand Ukrainian. Just who was this person living in her home and how old was she really? Christine and Michael set about trying to find answers but once again the adoption agency refused to provide any further information. So in June 2012 the couple took Natalia back to the Peyton Manning Children's Hospital, this time for a full body evaluation. The doctors confirmed that at this point she was 11 years old, which would tally with her being 8 or 9 in 2010. Despite now having two sets of medical records that stated Natalia was indeed a child, the Barnets just couldn't ignore the very obvious signs that she was an adult. Puberty, menstrual cycle, adult teeth and adult vocabulary, it was obvious to them that Natalia was not a child but a full-blown adult and she certainly seemed to respond better when they treated her as an adult and not as a child. So, the Barnets began treating her as they saw her, as an adult. Christine no longer tried to get her to wear children's clothing and instead bought Natalia more adult attire and they no longer pushed her to make friends with children. And as the couple moved towards altering their relationship with Natalia, from parental to a more guardianship approach, Natalia noticed the shift, and her behaviour and attitude also began to change, but for the worse. Strange things started to happen around the home. 
One morning, Christine headed downstairs to make breakfast. As she made her way down the stairs, pain suddenly shot through her foot. She thought she'd been stung by a wasp, but when she inspected her foot, there was a thumbtack sticking out of her toe. And as she looked up the stairs, there was a thumbtack on each and every step, pointed end upwards. These hadn't been accidentally dropped, they had been intentionally placed. On another occasion, Christine couldn't find her best carving knife. She searched all over the kitchen, but it had vanished. However, when she was changing the sheets on Natalia's bed a few days later, she found the carving knife under her bed. The carving knife went missing again a few days later. Christine searched Natalia's room, but couldn't find it anywhere. But that night, in the early hours of the morning, Michael awoke with a start. He sensed someone was in the room, and as his eyes adjusted to the darkness, he saw Natalia right beside him, holding that knife. Still, the couple persevered, refusing to give up on Natalia, hoping against hope that she would learn to trust them all and that her behaviour would eventually settle down. But it didn't. It only got worse. One day, Christine had taken Natalia and the three boys on a trip into the city. As they walked through the metropolis, navigating the heavy traffic, Natalia suddenly grabbed six-year-old Ethan's favourite stuffed toy out of his hands and threw it into oncoming traffic. Ethan immediately raced after his beloved toy. Tyre screeched and horns blared as oncoming cars attempted to swerve Ethan. Christine was terrified the whole scene played out before her eyes in slow motion and without thinking she sprinted into action and ran after her son, praying that she would get to him before a car did. Fortunately, she managed to reach Ethan and pull him to safety in the nick of time. Panting and in shock, Christine demanded from Natalia why she'd thrown Ethan's toy into the traffic. Natalia responded coldly, saying, Because I'm trying to kill the boys. By now the family were living in a constant state of fear and terror. They never knew what Natalia was going to do next. They still tried to shower her with affection and praise in the hope that she would change her ways, but she rewarded each kind action with a vengeful act. The situation was becoming untenable and the whole family were living on tenterhooks. But two harrowing events would bring the situation to a head. Christine had been cleaning the kitchen. She'd made herself a cup of coffee that she was sipping in between cleaning. At one point she turned around to grab her coffee cup and she caught Natalia pouring bleach into it. This horrific incident was followed a few days later by a similarly sinister event. The family had been on a trip to a petting farm. As they were walking around the stalls petting the animals, Natalia wandered off and left them. Noticing she was missing, Christine went in search of her. She found her sat on the grass by a fence. As she went over and attempted to pick her up, Natalia shoved Christine hard. She reeled backwards and fell to the ground just inches from a fence an electric fence. As Christine recovered from the shock, Natalia just looked on with a sinister smile. Enough was finally enough, and so out of desperation, in January 2012, just 18 months after adopting Natalia, Christine and Michael committed her to a psychiatric hospital for evaluation. Natalia would remain in the hospital for several months, where she received extensive psychological assessments. After a few months in the hospital, the psychiatrists were ready to share their findings with the Barnets. 
and the assessments the couple received were shocking. The psychiatrist showed the couple pictures that Natalia had drawn during their sessions. They were of family members dying, rolled up in blankets or left out in the cold. She also told the psychiatrist outright that she wanted to kill the entire family and she felt no remorse for feeling this way. Natalia was diagnosed as suffering from severe psychological illnesses. She had sociopathic and psychopathic personality disorders, illnesses that only present in late teens to adult years, not in children. This prompted the Barnets to have Natalia's age assessed again. This time they went to their primary care physician, or GP as we call them in the UK, and asked him to conduct his own assessment. And his assessment only supported psychiatric assessments. The doctor claimed that, according to Natalia's bone density and dental records, she was actually 22 years old. Whilst Natalia kept insisting to the Barnets that she was now 8 years old, she had actually confided to psychiatrists that she was in fact 18. Christine and Michael believed the medical and psychiatric reports and no longer believed Natalia. And now that they knew the truth, they decided to officially change her birth certificate to reflect her correct age so that she could be legally seen as an adult and therefore receive the correct adult psychiatric help that she so desperately needed. In July 2012, the Barnets applied to the Marion County Superior Court in Indiana, providing all the evidence they had attained from the psychiatric hospital and the letter from the primary care physician. They also provided the court with the Ukrainian birth certificate that had been given to them after the adoption. The document was highly suspicious as Natalia's date of birth was listed as 943. From this certificate, it was hard to figure out which year she'd been born, as it was just listed as three, so it had always been assumed to mean 2003, making Natalia nine years old. It was also hard to ascertain which month she'd been born in, as it wasn't clear if the date had been written in the English format, making her day of birth the 9th of April, or if it had been written in the American format, making her birth date the 4th of September. However, Judge Gerald Moore agreed with the medical and psychiatric documents presented by the Barnets and duly changed Natalie's birth certificate to September the 4th, 1989, keeping the American date of the original birth certificate and now legally making Natalia 22 years old. Natalia was finally released from the psychiatric hospital in August 2012. She was placed under the supervision of Aspire Services, which is an organisation that helps young people with disabilities to gain independence and it teaches them life skills in order to help them to connect with their community. However, given the history they had experienced when living with Natalia, Michael and Christine didn't feel it was in their family's best or safest interests to have Natalia return to the family home. Even though she was legally now an adult and as such legally no longer their responsibility, they still refused to abandon Natalia despite everything she'd put them through. And so they found an apartment for her, helped her get a social security number, food stamps, an ID and even to apply for benefits. Christine and Michael remained in contact with Natalia and visited her often. They hoped that between the psychiatric care and the medication that she was receiving and the assistance from Aspire, that she would carve out a niche for herself and be able to live a productive life. But it wasn't to be. Very quickly, problems began to arise. 
Natalia was causing problems at her apartment complex, so much so that she was evicted just a few months after she'd moved in. Christine and Michael found her a new apartment that afforded her a little more privacy so that hopefully she wouldn't have interaction and friction with her new neighbours and Natalia's benefits didn't cover the cost of the new apartment but the Barnets co-signed the lease and paid a year's rent up front. Unlike her old apartment, the new one was unfurnished so Christine and Michael bought furniture for Natalia. They also regularly delivered groceries to her. They continued to support and stay in contact with Natalia and even enrolled her in high school so that she could get her high school diploma. And this is how life continued for around about a year for all of them until the summer of 2013 when a spanner was well and truly thrown in the works. Jacob, Michael and Christine's gifted son, had by now graduated from Purdue University and had been offered a place as a PhD student at Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics. Jacob's passion was in astrophysics and so this offer was a dream come true for him. However, Jacob was only 15 and the university was in Ontario, Canada, some 800 miles away. There was no way that Michael and Christine were going to let their 15-year-old son attend university that far away on his own. And so the couple made the decision to move their entire family to Canada so that they could support Jacob. Their entire family, that is, except Natalia. Natalia had actually begun to make progress. She regularly attended sessions with her psychiatrist and she was working towards getting her high school diploma. The new apartment was working out for her, she was coping well living on her own and it certainly seemed that Natalia was finally settling down and really making a life for herself. Christine and Michael didn't want to uproot her from this stable environment and run the risk of regressing Natalia's development so they did make that decision not to take Natalia. They did however decide to pay for Natalia's rent at her apartment for the next year to ensure she continued to have a home. After moving to Ontario, Christine regularly called Natalia to ensure that she was okay, that she was eating well and that she was taking her medication. However, after a few months, Natalia stopped answering her phone calls and emails and very quickly, Christine lost touch with her altogether. After all they'd done for Natalia, this saddened Michael and Christine. But she was an adult and if she made the choice to cut them off, she had the right to do that. They just hoped that she would get back in contact one day and that she would keep up with the psychiatric sessions and the medication. And one day Natalia did get back in touch, but it wasn't the contact that Michael and Christine had been hoping for. In 2014, the Barnets received a formal letter from Natalia informing them that she had changed the beneficiary of her social security income from Michael to someone else. They didn't know the new person named as the beneficiary, but the letter certainly raised the Barnett's suspicions that Natalia was once again posing as a child for another unsuspecting family. They tried to reach out to her, but once again their communication went unanswered. Unfortunately, the strain of the move to Canada and the turbulent years with Natalia had taken a toll on the Barnett's marriage and the couple eventually split, with Michael moving back to Indiana in 2014, whilst Christine stayed in Ontario with the boys to support Jacob. The couple did remain on good terms, even after Michael remarried the following year. Occasionally, both Michael and Christine independently would try to reach out to Natalia but their communications continued to be ignored. 
However, in 2016, Michael was to see Natalia again. It turned out that the suspicions the Barnets had held back in 2014, that perhaps Natalia was up to her old tricks again of posing as a child for another family, were in fact founded. For that is exactly what Natalia had done. Cynthia and Antoine Manns of Crawfordsville, Indiana, had adopted Natalia in 2015. However, shortly after the adoption, they were told by authorities that the adoption was not legal because Natalia was in fact an adult. The Manns contested this and they wholly believed that Natalia was a child and so they took their case to court with the aim of reverting Natalia's birth date and certificate back to 2003 to legally make her a child. Michael found out about the court case and decided he couldn't let another family go through what they had all gone through and so he attended court and provided the judge with a medical record and psychiatric results from 2012 that proved Natalia was indeed an adult. As a result of Michael's involvement in the case, the judge ruled against the man's family and decreed that Natalia was an adult and that their adoption was invalid. These events proved to Michael and Christine that they had been conned by Natalia all along. They had been just another pawn in her game to ensure she was perpetually looked after by posing as a child. From this point forward, neither Michael or Christine attempted to reach out to her again. However, in 2019, Natalia would once again come back into their lives. In fact, she would come crashing back into their lives, and as was the norm with their experience of Natalia, it came with a wave of destruction. Before we get there, let's hear from the second and final sponsor of today's show. In early September 2019, Michael received a knock on his door. It was the Indiana State Police. They were there to arrest him for the neglect and abandonment of a minor. Christine was receiving the same charges in Canada. The court were attempting to try Michael and Christine for crimes against a child, the very same court that had legally ruled that Natalie was an adult some nine years earlier. Michael and Christine worked with a legal team to build their defence, but it was clear that at no time since Natalia's age had been changed to that of an adult in 2012 had it been changed back to that of a minor. Therefore, their defence was that Natalia was still legally deemed to be an adult, so no neglect of a minor had actually taken place. In fact, Michael found the situation so ludicrous that he even filed a motion to dismiss the case, but this was denied. It was while working with their legal team on their defence that Michael and Christine discovered that it was actually the family that had tried to adopt Natalia back in 2016 that was spearheading the accusations, Antoine and Cynthia Manns. It's not clear how Natalia had met the Manns, but she'd been living with them since 2015 and from the outset she told them she was a child and that she'd been abandoned by the Barnets when they'd moved to Canada. After the Manns' case to adopt Natalia had failed back in 2016 because of Michael's intervention, the family had set out to prove that she was indeed a child so that they could continue with their adoption of her. As the case headed towards trial in January 2020, both sides were building their cases. The Barnets and their defence team aimed to highlight the medical, dental and psychiatric records that had previously proven Natalia to be physically an adult. They also wanted to highlight that while she lived with them, she had attended middle school where she was deemed to be an average student. 
However, after the Barnets had moved to Canada, Natalia had enrolled in an adult education course to attain her high school diploma at the Lafayette Adult Resource Academy in 2013. So why would a child try to get their high school diploma? Either she's a prodigy, which we know she wasn't from her middle school reports that said she was an average student, or she's an adult. In addition, the Lafayette Adult Resource Academy doesn't just take anybody onto their courses. Students have to take a placement test to ascertain where their ability is and what their learning level is at. This then determines at what level these students are introduced into the diploma programme and Natalia was deemed as a junior high grade level and worthy of attending the course. So if Natalia was a child when she attended the Lafayette Adult Resource Academy, as she stated to the man's, she would have been nine years old in 2013 but she'd somehow miraculously, in the space of just a couple of years, escalated from middle school to junior high level. A jump of seven academic years. How could a child of average intelligence achieve that? So I think for UK listeners, perhaps, it would like, it would be like a sort of nine-year-old uh, completing their A-levels or certainly their GCSEs. Um, you know, that's just not going to happen unless they're a prodigy. In addition, the Barnett's legal team had researched Ukrainian adoptions in the US and they'd interviewed several other couples that had adopted Ukrainian children. And throughout all of the interviews, there was a common theme. The paperwork received from Ukraine as part of the adoption was notoriously sparse or inaccurate, in particular birth certificates. In fact, they were often fabricated. Children in orphanages in Ukraine figured out their age by comparing their height to the other children in the orphanage. So, if a child was certain that they were 10 and another child was slightly smaller than them, they were deemed to be younger. And it was often this height range that was used when determining a child's age that would go on the birth certificates that were then provided for overseas adoption. And because Natalia had dwarfism, she was significantly shorter than the other children and so deemed to be very young. However, the Manns and the prosecution were building a different argument. In the state of Indiana, a neglect statute defines a dependent as a person of any age who has a mental or physical disability. And Natalia had both. And due to the process that the Barnets went through in order to adopt Natalia, she was, and still was at this time, legally considered to be their dependent. So, according to the prosecution, it made no difference as to whether Natalia was a child at the time the Barnets had left for Canada or an adult. Under Indiana law, they had abandoned a dependent. If the Barnets were convicted, they would face five years in prison and a fine of $10,000 each. And as if this whole saga wasn't crazy enough, another story emerged that was to throw a wrench into the whole trial. The British newspaper, the Daily Mail, had found a woman in Mykolaiv, Ukraine, that claimed to be Natalia's birth mother. Anna Volodymyrovina Garva told Daily Mail TV that she was forced to give up Natalia 16 years previously when she was only a baby. She'd given birth to Natalia on the 4th of September in 2003, but six months into the pregnancy, Anna learnt that her unborn child had a complex pathology and that she would be severely disabled. The child would need expensive operations totaling US$80,000. Shortly after this diagnosis, Anna divorced Natalia's father, and when Natalia was born, Anna just couldn't afford to raise her alone or to pay for the expensive operations, 
and so she had no choice but to put her up for adoption. The Daily Mail reporters also managed to track down the orphanage that Natalia had been sent to, and subsequently her adoption records. She was admitted to the orphanage in September 2003, and her admission assessment supports that she was a one-day-old baby at the time. Natalia had stayed at the orphanage for five years before she was adopted by an American couple in 2008, that's two years before the Barnets had officially adopted her. Anna had known about the proposed American adoption and had actually supported it because she felt that an American family would be able to afford the operations that Natalia would need, operations that would give her a more normal life. Of course, all of this was very damning to the Barnett's case and their previous procurement to change Natalia's legal age to 22 in 2012. However, only a DNA test could truly prove whether Anna was actually Natalia's mother, and no DNA test was conducted or even requested. So, with no DNA test, Anna's claim was only hearsay. But on the other hand, you only have to look at pictures of Anna and Natalia together to note the striking resemblance. But also don't forget that Natalia admitted to psychiatrists that she was indeed an adult and there had been numerous reports in the USA from medical, dental and psychiatric professionals that categorically stated that Natalia was an adult. So who was telling the truth? The medical experts who claimed that physically and anatomically Natalia was an adult or the supposed mother and orphanage papers which claimed that she was in fact a child? And given all that the Barnets did for Natalia, it seemed highly unlikely that they would have abandoned her if they weren't 100% certain that she was an adult. Only the trial would give the definitive answer. But after the Barnets were charged with neglect in September 2019, the story hit the press and spread like wildfire. Michael and Christine soon started to receive numerous requests for interviews and to appear on talk shows, all of which they accepted. Soon America was receiving a very one-sided story, the Barnett story, and this is because Natalia, while also receiving many interview requests, had turned them all down. The mans would not allow her to give any interviews and would not give any interviews themselves as they didn't want to jeopardise the case. And so, because people were only hearing one side of the story, the media and public reaction became very polarised. The Barnets were the victims and Natalia was the monster. She was even likened to the 2009 horror film The Orphan, in which the plot has a freakishly uncanny resemblance to the Barnets' experience. In the film, a young girl is adopted from an orphanage by a loving family, but as violent and disturbing events start to happen in the home after her arrival, the family soon find out that their adoptive daughter is actually a 30-year-old psychopath with a rare form of dwarfism, posing as a child in order to be supported by families. The man's family were also coming under much attack from the media and public opinion, as their case against the Barnets was portrayed as sour grapes over the fact that Michael had thwarted their chances to adopt Natalia in 2016, when he provided evidence at the trial proving that she was an adult. Things became so toxic in the media that in October 2019, the prosecutor who charged the Barnets with neglect asked the court for a gag order in order to prevent the Barnets from doing any more interviews where they provided information about Natalia's medical, psychological or educational records, all information that could affect the bias of a jury. 
The gag order was permitted and so the Barnets could now only speak about the allegations and their defence in general. The judge also extended this gag order to Natalia, even though she had never spoken with the media. However, it seemed that the damage was done as the Barnets had saturated enough of the media at this point that public opinion was most definitely in their favour. And then other information started to be published by the media, information that perhaps showed there were two sides to this story after all. Even though the Barnets had changed Natalia's age to 22 in 2012, making her an adult, they had not relinquished their legal custody of her. Because they still held this custody, the man's family, who had now been looking after Natalia for five years, had no access to financial support from the government in order to care for Natalia's additional needs. They had been footing the bill themselves all the time that Natalia had been with them. Also, it came to light that in the letter from the Barnett's physician, which stated that Natalia was 22, the very letter the Barnett's used to change her legal age, and the same letter Michael used to thwart the man's adoptive trial in 2016, also stated that she had been seen previously by an orthopaedist and an endocrinologist, and neither could help with the age assessment. But this wasn't true. As we know, Natalia had been seen by both an orthopaedist and an endocrinologist in 2010, and again a couple of years later, both times at the Peyton Manning Children's Hospital. And in those assessments, Natalia had been deemed to be 8 in 2010 and 11 in 2012. However, it seemed that the Barnets had not shared these earlier assessments with their primary care physician when they had asked him to assess Natalia's age, and nor had they shared that information with the court when the Barnets changed Natalia's age to 22 in July 2012. The press had also managed to get hold of pictures of Natalia during her years with the man's family, and these were positioned alongside recent pictures of her with the Barnet family, and it was evident from the images that Natalia had matured from what looked like a young child when she was with the Barnets to a teenager when she was with the man's. When Michael and Christine thwarted the man's attempt to adopt Natalia in 2016, he had claimed to the court that Natalia had made a career out of posing as a child in order to dupe families into supporting her. However, such a claim would suggest that other families had also been victims of her fraud, and it actually turned out, according to Natalia, that she had stayed with several families before being placed with the Barnets. But, due to the Barnets accepting a closed adoption, all the records were sealed, and thus the previous families could not be identified or contacted. But after the news of the Barnett's neglect charges hit every media outlet in America, one of the previous families decided it was time to break their code of silence and they went to the media with their experience of living with Natalia. Vincent and Nicole DePaul from Albany, New York had fostered Natalia in 2009. They had actually looked into adopting her but in the end they changed their mind. They've never disclosed exactly why they changed their mind, but given that they remember Natalia with fondness, it's doubtful that it was because she was threatening to harm or kill the family. Vincent and Nicole, who also both have a form of dwarfism, had homed Natalia over a six-month period, and they had kept all the records that had been provided when they'd fostered her, including her Ukrainian birth certificate which, like the Barnets, showed a date of birth of 943, firmly putting her in the young child category. 
The Depauls refuted many of the Barnett's claims. For example, as we know, Christine claimed Natalia tried to push her into an electric fence, but the Depauls said that this could not have happened. One of the aspects of dwarfism is the lack of mobility. Walking is not easy, and even standing is difficult. They also pointed out that Natalia suffers from a rare form of dwarfism called spondyloepithecial dysplasia cogenita, or SED for short. Sufferers of this condition have much more extreme mobility problems, with most sufferers being confined to a wheelchair. In addition, SED sufferers have very weak muscle tone, premature arthritis, hearing and vision impairments and spine complications. Thus, sufferers of SED have much less mobility than people with normal dwarfism. And so Natalia just wouldn't have had the strength or ability to push a normal-sized adult so hard that they would fall over. The DePaul said that even they couldn't have pushed an adult woman into an electric fence, and their form of dwarfism is nowhere near as severe or strength-inhibiting as Natalia's. The DePauls also produce photos of Natalia from their time with her, and it's very evident in these pictures that she looks younger than she did in the photos that the Barnets produced of their time with her, thus showing the progression of a child ageing. And to top it off, the DePauls produced pictures of Natalia that showed she had baby teeth missing and new teeth coming through, which only happens in children. The DePaul stated that from their experience with her, there was absolutely no way that Natalia was an adult. In October 2019, as if this case wasn't fueled enough, Michael Barnett broke his gag order and appeared on the Dr Oz show. Dr Oz is a television personality, a surgeon and a Columbia University professor. Michael appeared on the show with a pastor who said that he thought Natalia was at least in her 20s. And I guess this was the straw that broke the camel's back for Natalia and the man's family because just a month later, Natalia finally broke her silence and gave her side of the story in an interview with Dr. Phil, an American television host who holds a doctorate in clinical psychology. Antoine and Cynthia Mann were with her during the interview and Cynthia and Natalia held hands all the way through. During the interview, Natalia refuted all claims that she had tried to harm or kill the Barnett family. She also pointed out that the two bone density scans that she'd had done in 2010 and 2012 proved that she had not been lying about her age. She also denied that she'd had her menstrual cycle whilst living with the Barnetts and claimed that even now, at the supposed age of 16, she still hadn't had her cycle. The Manns also backed this up, stating that in the five years that Natalia had been with them, there had been no evidence of her having a cycle. Cynthia told Dr Phil that in the five years that Natalia had been with them, she had developed as a normal child would, with her preferences moving from toys and dolls five years ago to pursuits that any normal 16-year-old would have music, makeup, boys. Cynthia also stated that at no point in the five years that Natalia had resided with them had she shown any psychotic or sociopathic behaviour, nor had she threatened or harmed any of the Mann family. In fact, all the family loved Natalia. She got along very well with Antoine and Cynthia's five children, and she was a loving and caring member of their family, which of course was the complete opposite of what the Barnets purportedly claimed they'd experienced. 
with regards to the claims from Christine Barnett that she caught Natalia trying to pour bleach into her coffee and also that Natalia had tried to push her into an electric fence, Natalia stated that Christine had twisted these events to fit her narrative. With the coffee cup incident, Natalia said that bleach had never been involved. She had in fact been reaching for some lemon pledge because she wanted to clean the table. She climbed on a chair to reach the countertop to grab the pledge, but Christine's coffee cup was in the way. She moved the cup and picked up the pledge, just as Christine turned around and saw this. So, Christine made the assumption that because she was holding the pledge and moving her coffee cup, that she had been intent on poisoning her. Christine wouldn't accept Natalia's version of this event. As for the electric fence incident, Natalia said she'd been on a farm with the Barnets. The family had been walking around the farm seeing the animals, but her legs were hurting her, so she sat down on the grass to rest for a while. Christine came over and wanted her to get up. Christine held out her hand to Natalia to pull her up, but in the process, both of them fell over on the grass, not just Christine. And yes, there was an electric fence nearby, but neither of them had fallen onto it, according to Natalia. Cynthia told Dr Phil that she believed that the Barnets wanted to give up Natalia and so put her through psychiatric hospitals so that they could discredit her mental stability and have her committed. When that fell through and she was returned to the Barnets at the end of treatment, they instead went on a different route. A route that would see them try to age her through the court so that they didn't have to be responsible for her anymore. At the end of Dr Phil's show, he always gives his opinion on the interviewee. And for Natalia, he said that he didn't think she was 30 years old, but he also thought that she didn't know her real age. The interview caused even more polarised opinions. People were even more divided as to who was actually telling the truth, Natalia or the Barnets. And as I said earlier, ultimately it was up to the court to decide that. So the trial was set to go ahead in January 2020, but in December 2019, the prosecution filed four more charges against the Barnets. According to the prosecution, the Barnets did not keep up with Natalia's surgeries. If Natalia didn't get the surgeries she needed at the appropriate times, her muscular deformities would get even worse and she would endure more and more pain. Whilst with the Barnets, Natalia allegedly did have some surgeries, but they were not happening in the time frame needed, which essentially means the Barnets let Natalia suffer. And so the new charges against the Barnets were neglect of a dependent, resulting in bodily injury. These charges were on top of the two counts of neglect the Barnets were already facing. In addition, the prosecution had unearthed Natalia's medical records from when she was examined in 2008 upon arriving in the US and they noticed something cast a lot of doubt on the validity of another of the Barnett's claims. Remember when the Barnett said they had asked a Ukrainian friend to speak with Natalia in her native tongue and according to the Barnett she had refused to respond? Well, in the 2008 medical records, it clearly stated that there was a Ukrainian interpreter at the examination who was translating back and forth with the doctors on behalf of Natalia. These medical records from 2008 charted the surgeries that Natalia would need in the coming years and even set a timetable for them. The agency in Florida where the Barnets adopted Natalia confirmed that copies of these 2008 medical records were given to the Barnets so they knew the timetable of when Natalia needed the surgeries in order to ease her pain. 
Also, a letter was discovered that had been sent from Michael to Natalia's school, making them aware of the timetable of surgeries that Natalia was going to have. But also in the letter, he acknowledged that he knew Natalia was in a lot of pain because these surgeries had been delayed. The prosecution were now stating that because of these unearthed medical records and the letter, there was proof of a motive for neglect. The Barnets didn't want to pay for the surgeries and Natalia was too much of a burden on them. If this new information is actually true, then this would mean that not only did the Barnets abandon a child, but they also abandoned a child that was in severe pain from her condition. The Barnett's defence argued that the charges were preposterous and unduly prejudicial. However, Judge Steve Mayer allowed the charges to go ahead. Because of this new information and the new charges from the prosecution, the Barnett's defence lawyers requested more time to prepare for the trial. The judge granted this and the date was moved to August 2020. And finally, the trials did go ahead in August. And I say trials because the judge decided that Michael and Christine should be tried separately. Christine's trial started first on the 14th of August in 2020. And right off the bat, as the trial commenced, Christine's defence lawyer requested that her trial be dismissed. His argument was that because Natalia was deemed to be an adult in the eyes of the law, the first two charges of neglect against her adoptive mother could not be based on Natalia's age. Also, he claimed that because the Barnets had legally changed Natalia's age in a Marion County court, and that as this trial centred around the question of Natalia's age, the judge did not have the authority to change or undo a court ruling from another county. Lastly, he claimed that all the latest four charges of abandonment resulting in bodily injury filed against them in 2019 were invalid because they were outside the statute of limitations. Statute of limitations is a maximum length of time that one can file a petition to the courts after the incident or injury has occurred. In the USA, this is five years, as the latest charges were centred around neglect from abandoning Natalia in 2013, the statute of limitations had expired two years previously. Judge Steve Mayer agreed with the defence, and even cited that the Manns and other agents of the state had had the opportunity back in 2016 to challenge the Marion County Court decision about Natalia's age, but failed to appeal it. Therefore, Natalia's birth date, as established by the Marion County Court, stood, and this also settled the issue of Natalia's age. He also agreed that the prosecution's charges had exceeded the statute of limitations. The case was dismissed, Christine Barnett walked free. Natalia was still seen as an adult in the eyes of the law, and the mans were still ineligible to adopt her or receive any government support in caring for her. Michael's case went to trial on the 26th of August in 2020. The same judge, Steve Mayer, that had dismissed Christine's trial, presided over Michael's trial also. As soon as his trial commenced, Michael's defence lawyer was on his feet citing the exact same reasons to dismiss the trial as Christine's defence team had done. Michael and his legal team had decided to go with this strategy after it had worked out so well for Christine and as this was the very same judge who had dismissed Christine's charges, it stood to reason that he would have to do the same for Michael. However, this time around, the prosecution were prepared for the dismissal request and so they had come armed with more information and evidence that was to throw yet more twists into this story. 
The prosecution requested that a jury should decide what Natalia's real age was, not the judge. Even though in Christine's ruling, this very same judge had upheld that he couldn't overturn a ruling from another county court, thus he couldn't change Natalia's birth certificate, the Marion County Court ruling was actually obsolete because the prosecution could prove that Natalia had just celebrated her 17th birthday that very week. You see, the prosecution had tracked down Natalia's birth mother, Anna, and she had submitted her blood for a DNA test. And the DNA test confirmed that Anna is Natalia's biological mother, and records that Anna had from Natalia's birth confirmed that she was indeed born on the 4th of September in 2003, making her eight when she was adopted by the Barnetts. But Judge Steve Mayer stood by the original ruling from Christine's trial and stated that he could not alter another state court's decision, so Natalia's age still remained as 31 by this point. Therefore, any criminal charges of neglect based on Natalia's age were dismissed. And so, just like with Christine, Michael's case was dismissed. Michael Barnett walked free. Natalia was still seen as an adult in the eyes of the law and the mans were still ineligible to adopt her or to receive any government support for caring for her. So how old is Natalia? That's the million dollar question that no one can definitively answer despite all the twists and turns in this case and we probably never will know. What is very clear though is that when this story first hit the headlines in September 2019 Public and media alike seemed to support the Barnets as the victims who paralleled their experience with Natalia to that of that horror film, The Orphan. However, by the time the trial finally took place in August 2020, public and media opinion had shifted, and Natalia was now seen as most likely to be the victim, with her previous adoptive parents looking like they had stolen the plot from the horror movie in order to justify abandoning a child they considered too burdensome. However, there is one more twist in this story. Even though Judge Steve Mayer dismissed both trials and charges against the Barnets, he did add one caveat to his rulings. Because Natalia has a severe case of dwarfism, he ruled that the state could pursue charges of neglect against the Barnets based on her disability, but not her age. This means the Barnets could still face further charges in the future. But to date, the prosecution nor the state have come forward with any more charges against the Barnets yet. I'd watch this space if I were you. So that concludes this uh, crazy episode, so full of twists and turns. I think if like me, when you originally heard this, or for me when I read it, um, I really thought that Natalia was the, um, the, the baddie in all of this. I thought that she was an adult, and I think maybe it's because I'd seen the film, I'd seen The Orphan, Uh, when it was released over a decade ago. So I thought, wow, this has happened in real life. This is fascinating. But I think for me, the damning evidence is that Natalia's birth mother, Anna, could provide evidence that, one, she was definitely Natalia's mother, and two, that she had given birth to her in 2003. So Natalia was, to me, I, I think you would all agree, Natalia was a child when she was adopted by the Barnets. And to this date, she's only about 18 now. Um, it's just kind of legal loopholes and legal issues that mean that 
her age can't legally be changed um do get in touch with us in all the usual ways i would love to know what you think about it um thank you for listening it's a, a really long episode for us particularly as a solo episode um but an absolutely fascinating case i'm so pleased that sue's at dark side podcast got in touch with this because i think we would have covered it at some point um but she's done a fantastic job on on putting this together so thank you so much Suze, and please do check out her show um, I would like to uh, just end really by thanking uh, the patrons that have signed up over uh, the last few weeks uh, since we've been off air. So uh, we have Joanne Hall, Vera Atterbury, Andrew Brown, Jake Wilde, Julie Miller, Makui Leanne, Faye Hamilton, Lucy Taylor, Michelle Gilby, Andrew Lavender, who I know listens as he travels across Europe in his big truck, and he said he wants a big fuck off mark sticker for the back, so we'll see what we can do. Uh, Lily Burke, Natalie Page, I nearly said Natalia Page, Catriona W. Brown, Megan Lund, Chris Myers, Christine Martin, Karen Parker, Kate Panel, and a very special mention to um, Brett Weir, a very special patron. Thanks for getting in touch. Um, and the following people have signed up annually you get a 10 percent discount if you sign up annually so many thanks to nicole tullock carol hagan holly herkett kelvin hughes gina kinson and friend of the show hayes selby d thank you so much um, for signing up to support us in this way it makes a huge difference and if you don't know what patreon is if you're not a patron of the show and maybe you're thinking about it um, i just wanted to take a moment to tell you about it and feel free to skip through this if you want but um patreon is a website essentially that allows you guys to support us and the show financially uh, there are different levels of support starting at just £1.95 a month there's no obligation to sign up for a period of time so you can cancel at any any time and if you join on our second tier which costs less than the cost of a couple of coffees a month you gain access to a whole secret world of seeing red we release a bonus episode on the last Friday of every month. I think we've got a back catalogue of about two dozen bonus episodes on Patreon right now. And we've recently taken a deep dive into the life and crimes of Jimmy Savile over there. We've covered the murder of April Jones and we also featured the Suffolk Strangler last month. We also have an active book club where we choose a true crime book every couple of months. We then meet virtually uh, sort of via video to discuss it. And we have exclusive competitions and behind the scenes looks at the show. It only takes a couple of minutes to sign up. The link is always in the show notes. But if you don't want to support us in this way or if you're not able to right now, that's honestly fine. Um, our weekly show will always be released for free and we value your support, whether that's through posting a review, recommending us to family, friends or work colleagues, getting in touch with us via social media or just downloading the episodes and having a good old binge every now and then. It's all good for us. Um, so thank you for listening if you did listen to that and um, yeah if you do want to sign up you just need to head to patreon.com slash seeing red podcast take care and I'll, uh, I'll speak to you next week bye
Hi angels, it's your girl Louise Rumble and I'm the host of the Open House Podcast. Therapy quite literally changed my life and sent me straight into my hot healing girl era. Now, each week I share my story, the good, the bad and the downright juicy and chat with some of the world's best therapists, psychologists and wellness experts. From love, sex and dating to attachment styles, nervous system regulation, wellness hacks, hormone balancing and more, nothing is off the table. I've emptied my bank account on therapy and healing so you don't have to. So if you're ready to leave the past in the past and build the future you've always deserved, me and my favorite experts are waiting for you on the Open House podcast. Listen now wherever you stream your podcasts and I cannot wait to meet you.